0: Well, uh, friends, a few weeks ago, I was driving to church, and I get to pick up the bagel order every Sunday, which I've shared before, which fills my van with the divine aroma of fresh baked bagels, and the cinnamon and sugar ones are particularly overwhelming, which is perfectly fine with me, and uh, I split my driving time, when I'm driving alone, that is, between podcast listening, and I'm always looking for recommendations, so let me know. Uh, and then listening to music. And I am a singer and an air drummer, okay? And uh, I mean, I, I get it out when I'm driving alone. Uh, and so on this particular Sunday, I was, it was a music morning. So I'm, I'm singing and I'm air drumming, and I've learned to let go of every judgment about that, and so I am unflappable when it comes to others' judgments about my singing and air drumming, but I am that cringeworthy Gen X soccer dad. You see singing and air drumming in his minivan across town, so be on the lookout. Well, there I was. Sunday morning, I am singing and air drumming, and I come to a red light on Dubuque Street. Hang on, let me see if I can... I come to a red light on Dubuque Street, because I pick up bagels at burgers downtown, come on Dubuque Street, hit a red light at Church Street. And uh, I'm sitting there. I'm enjoying the morning, just happy, listening to music, loud, singing, the bagel smell in the van. And the light turns green. And before I can even take my foot off the gas, a car in the next lane goes whizzing past me. And not like super, super fast. Like They're going probably like five miles and over the speed limit, so like 30 miles an hour. But the timing... The timing of this car, my friends, it was perfect. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was like they knew exactly when the light was going to turn green. You know how you hit that once in a while? And they just like went into the intersection as the light turned green, 30 miles an hour. I was still stationary. <laughs> my mouth dropped. My jaw dropped. I was, and I just stopped singing in, in total surprise. And I was filled with this competing mix of emotions. On one hand, I was impressed. I mean, this was admirable driving. (laughs) The competency, the gas efficiency, wow! (laughs) On the other hand, I was kind of resentful. Like, they just left me in the dust. How dare they? How dare they not even make a show of slowing down? At least pump the brake a little bit, the indignity. So I have this weird mix of joy and resentment, and I start to drive along Dubuque Street, and I'm mulling over this emotional quandary inside me, and I realize that this is a microcosm for much of human experience. Go with me. I was happy at this red light in my minivan, smelling fresh bagels, singing and air drumming. Joy was mine until this car past me and then suddenly i was comparing myself to them and i wasn't so sure i was happy anymore maybe i would be happier if i was them if i had timed that light perfectly maybe i would have been even more happy or so i told myself well i was reflecting on the comparative nature of human happiness and joy and I looked up and I saw ahead of me that the car that had passed me was now itself at a red light. And I could see another vehicle in the cross street approach the intersection and they were slowing down as though their light had turned yellow and was about to turn red, which meant my light was about to turn green, or so I thought. So I'm approaching the intersection. And I'm getting ready, and I, I turn off the music. All my senses are on high alert. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting for my light to turn green. I'm, my foot is hovering over the brake, just in case it doesn't. I get to the point of no return where I know I'm going to have to brake, and then the light turns green, and who's <laughs> I fly by them. They are stationary, and I enter the intersection, and I'm home. Whew. Oh, that felt good to relive. (laughs) Today, friends, our third Sunday of Advent, today we ask, who has joy? And who has more joy? Hmm? I share this rather superficial story of driving to illustrate how our state of happiness is very often measured in comparison to others. It need not be, but it often is. And when our joy depends on comparison, the comparative level of fortune or misfortune of others, then it will always be vulnerable to life's ups and downs. We will always be looking to the left and to the right. We will always be wondering who's getting the green lights, who's not, who's getting ahead, who's not. Is it possible to cultivate a joy that is incomparable? That is, it does not depend on comparing ourselves to others. Could we do that? Well, the Christmas story has something to say about this. And so we're going to turn to part of that story from the Bible, from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The story we'll read happens not long after Jesus was born, So Mary and Joseph travel with the infant Jesus to Jerusalem. They go to the temple, and they offer sacrifice. And this is where the story picks up. Uh, And, Anthony, I need your help controlling the slides. I don't think it's working for me very well. Maybe it is. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence for all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, And to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's where the story ends, and scene. And it ends with a message of trouble, which we'll get to. But first, there's a lot of joy. So Mary and Joseph, our new parents, They have an infant, Jesus. And they go to the temple where they encounter a man who, unknown to them, is being led by the Holy Spirit towards them. Somehow he has Jesus in his arms. Okay, we don't know how that happens exactly. Like, he's a stranger. They don't know each other. So they're passing this infant around the room, apparently. And he ends up in Simeon's arms. And Simeon, holding the infant Jesus, starts to sing and pray aloud. And I have this moment in my mind. It's a little bit like Mufasa in Lion King holding up Simba, you know. And he says he has this vision of this infant Jesus that God's liberation and salvation are fulfilled through this baby the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jewish people and a revelation to all Gentiles. That is all non-Jewish people. So it's everybody. Everybody gets in. This is a universal salvation moment and message. Simeon is full of joy. That's why he's singing and praying. And he channels this joy into these words where he says, basically, I can die. I can die at peace. I am so fulfilled, so happy, so into this blessing of God. Now, Simeon's joy is a fulfillment that matches an all-inclusive vision of God. In this vision that God gave Simeon, no one's left out. There is no comparison in this vision. There's no comparative advantage or disadvantage. There's no comparative contrast in fortunes, no good fortune or bad fortune, no good fortune at the expense of others. No one is left in the dust at the cosmic traffic light. And because Simeon's joy is in comparable because it's not comparative. It is invulnerable. It is a joy beyond changing circumstance. It's not looking to the left or to the right. If it's looking anywhere, Simeon is looking up, and he is centered and grounded in God, in this vision that God has given him. I love this moment. I think it resonates actually with some of current mindfulness practices and teachings. You know, mindfulness trains us to become more centered, more grounded, more present in here and now. It teaches us that we can let go of judgment. We can let go of comparison with anyone or anything else just to be, simply be in and of ourselves. I think I was partly tasting that kind of joy on that Sunday morning a few weeks ago. I'm just in my element, enjoying the morning, enjoying singing in my van, enjoying bagels, the smell of them. And then I lost it. I lost it when I started to compare myself to someone else. Back to Simeon. So Simeon sort of snaps out of this reverie. And he hands the infant Jesus back to Mary. Mary. And then he announces something to Mary, a rather troubling message. So here it is again. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Here's your baby back, mom. Good luck. (laughs) Kind of intense. Um, Here's the thing. Simeon's experience of this vision, of this all-inclusive vision and his joy, it does not make him naive. Simeon knows how the world works, how human society is ordered. And it is into human society, into our human disordered world, that the infant Jesus will grow up. He will grow up and become a rabbi. And the message of Jesus, will it be received well? Will Jesus' all-inclusive, everyone-welcome, everyone-liberated message, how is that going to play in human world, where some rise and some fall, where there are winners and losers, where some people get a lot of green lights, or all of them, where good or bad fortune can depend enormously on sex and race and national origin and gender identity and level of ability and disability and so on. How well will Jesus' message be received? Well, it depends who you are. By many, it will be opposed because people who compare themselves to others and depend on comparative advantages, they won't want anything to change they don't want to see the traffic lights change so that others benefit. Liberation and equity might cost them something. It might cost them materially, but it will certainly cost them with any sense of comparative advantage. So there are two things happen here, two major dynamics, okay, or themes, and I want to just trace them. So the first is the distribution of resources and goods, okay? So. It, you know, just plain fact that some people have more than others. Some people have a lot more than others in our world. And Jesus's message of liberation speaks into all of those differences. It speaks into social and economic realities. And Jesus's good news is good news for the poor, for the disadvantaged, because it wants to lift up those with less. The other dynamic at work here, though, is the comparative level of joy that people derive from those differences, right? And Jesus' message of liberation speaks to that dynamic as well. It's very complex, right? And it's it's hard to even untangle these things because they're always, always at play. Here's the thing. To the degree... That our sense of joy and well being depends on comparison, it will always be threatened. We will likely find ourselves constantly looking out for green lights, making sure we're getting out ahead of others so that we feel better about ourselves, that we're happier. But when our joy and well being is centered in God's universal liberation, we're free we are free. There is nothing that can threaten such a joy. It is unshakable because it is God's joy. It's, we don't have to look left or right. We don't need any sign of status to make us feel better about ourselves. We are centered and grounded in God's joy and God's delight. Our cup overflows. I have an older brother uh, named Mark, he's about two years older than I am, and growing up with Mark wasn't always easy. Older brothers, uh, we uh, experienced the and no one can relate to that. Okay, everyone's an older brother in the room. No, okay, yeah. Oh, here we go. Um, so you know, growing up wasn't always easy with Mark. He, we experienced the sort of normal range of sibling rivalry from poking fun to outright physical fights. And Mark was always stronger, faster, smarter. So he always won in everything. It was exhausting. Um, And Mark also, he was good at everything he did or seemed to be to me from my viewpoint. He was pretty athletic. He was good at school. So I was constantly comparing myself to Mark. And the measurement was Mark. (laughs) So guess who lost the comparison? And that changed a little bit as we kind of grew up and, you know, he went off to college. That helped because then there's some distance. Um, But my inner comparison to Mark never quite went away. Mark became a lawyer, just like my dad, our dad. Of course he did. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) right, I know, it writes itself. He, um... (laughs) He, he lives in Brooklyn, New York with his family. They have this nice apartment in a trendy Brooklyn neighborhood with its craft breweries, its local bookstores on every corner, and some amazing vegan restaurants. And anytime they want, they can hit a musical on Broadway or go to a Knicks game at Madison Square Garden and then go out to drinks afterward and casually run into Trevor Noah, okay? This is Mark's life. And if I'm not careful... I can find myself comparing my life to Mark's. And I can find all the ways that my life isn't as cool or good or whatever on some scale of happiness that I've borrowed from some place. Where did I get that? And I can forget that I'm already happy. My life is good. I... I, my life is full of joy. It is so good. I can, I can also simultaneously, you know, from that moment, I can zoom out and sort of look at both me and Mark, and I can see that both of us comparatively are very near the top when it comes to a distribution of resources on the earth among human beings. Each of us is enormously privileged. And the invitation I hear from Jesus, from our Christmas story, is pay attention to that. And how will you, David and Mark, use your privilege and resources to benefit others, to advantage the disadvantaged? And on the comparative joy level, I hear Jesus inviting me to let it go. Let go of the comparisons. And God, I hear God saying to me, I'm not asking you to be Mark, I'm asking you to be David. I've given you this life. Will you enjoy it? Will you learn to be happy, to share, to be generous, to build loving relationships, loving community, to serve all the things that Jesus calls us to I'm getting better and better at this, but I still struggle, as I'm sure we all do with this comparison stuff. Well, today, my brother Mark and I are friends. You know, we text, we talk, we enjoy each other's company, we celebrate one another's successes, we can empathize over difficult things, and our relationship feels light. It feels free of rivalry. Neither of us feels like we have to compare, compete with the other to experience joy this is the invitation of Simeon and the Christmas story. It's an invitation into liberation for all in every dimension that it can mean. Liberation when it comes to the distribution of goods and resources on our earth and how that all works, but also liberation in our internal sense of well-being and joy. How free are we? to receive God's joy. That is Jesus' invitation to us this Christmas, to lean into both in every sense of liberation. I want to close with a simple prayer exercise where we can just practice this a little bit. So I want to invite you to get comfortable in your chair as we enter into prayer. So let's begin simply by breathing. And take in a little bit longer breaths than you might and slowly breathe out. Longer breaths in, slowly release it, breathing out. As you're breathing, be aware of your feet. How do your feet feel touching the ground? Pay attention to your breath, breathing in and out. As you rest and breathe, let's pray these words. I'll read them aloud. I am beloved of God. God's joy is my joy. I am beloved of God. God's joy is my joy. Keep breathing in and out. I am beloved of God. God's joy is my joy. Come, Holy Spirit, free us from comparison, free us to enter into your joy, free us to share generously and to advantage the disadvantage in our world as you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.